Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, a Nissan Duke launch special edition. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. A new Duke? You're kidding. I know. After nine years, a new Duke. <laughs> yeah, I know. We we got to the stage where we were starting to make fun of the fact that there seemed to never be a new Duke on the horizon. Uh, and that lo, there is. There is now, out and about, and for sale... A, a new Nissan Duke. I have seen several around here as well already. Well, there are. Yes, they, they seem to sort of store them all up and then just release them. <laughs> release the Duke! <laughs> uh, but they sold over a million of the previous generation. They did seem to be everywhere. They they absolutely were. That and the cash cow must have been keeping Nissan going in this country. <laughs> Basically, yeah, you've got that, uh, the Leaf and the GTR, really. Mm. And the X-Trail as well, I suppose. And I suppose there's the Micra too, but you don't see as many Micras as you used to. No, I think people have gone for the Duke instead of the Micra now, haven't they? Hmm. I think so. So, explain to anybody who has lived under a rock for nine years, what is a Duke? The Duke is the car that started the BSUV craze. That's right. Woo-hoo. The dullest... <laughs> yes, quite. Uh, probably the dullest vehicle segment available these days is the, the sort of small hatchback SUV. But there were no others uh, when the Duke came out nine years ago. Uh, it started that. And it was phenomenal sales success until it's it, they did list at one point the number of competitors that there were. And it started with none. And I think it was something like 23 <laughs> <laughs> other different, you know, other models there were in in that that range. In a segment where most vehicles were essentially a small hatchback jacked up a bit, mm-hmm. the Duke was always a bit distinctive because it, it it could be a challenging little thing to look at. Yes, styling was uh, was definitely on the more adventurous end of the car styling world. <laughs> I have forgotten the name of the the, the lead designer behind it as well, uh, but he and Simon Cox were head of design at Infinity after that. So there were a number of Infinity QX models. Mm-hmm. Is it the seventy? I could be wrong. That were like a grown-up Duke that had that same kind of strange front, uh, and they, of course, and the reason I should know their names is because it's the same. Essentially, the same people who designed the uh, the Isuzu Veyacross, which of course I owned for many, many years, and you could see lots of styling cues between the Duke and the original Qashqai, and the and the Veyacross as well. So it's it's a bit of an oddity. It's, it's quite a brave move for a mainstream manufacturer to go for a design that was really quite out there at the time. Yeah, yeah. We've grown accustomed to it through familiarity. Yes, exactly. And and it was something that, that made people either go, oh my goodness, I'm never having one of those. Oh, it's repulsive. Or, oh, I really like that. Mm. There's no real middle ground no. with, with the looks of the first generation Duke. No. Which is funny because with this, this new generation, the key message that they say that they got out of, of customer clinics was that they wanted the car to stay a Duke. Okay. So a bit more left field, a bit a bit distinctive, that sort of thing. Yes. They wanted to make sure that the whole dukeness wasn't diluted okay. at all. But we'll talk a bit about the specifics of that as we go through, though. Mm-hmm. So much like the previous generation, uh, this is a resolutely British car. Designed at Nissan's European Design Studio in Paddington. Engineered at the Technical Centre Europe 
at Cranfield, just outside Milton Keynes, uh, which is where we had lunch and a tour of some of the facilities, which sadly we weren't allowed to take photos of, of course. <laughs> but some of the stuff there and some of the testing they do. Anatomic chambers. What a horrible feeling it is in there. A room with no echo. <laughs> it's really freaky. It's just, just the strangest thing. Yeah, sorry, that was that was our lunch stop. And of course, last but not least, there's built-in built in Sunderland uh, up at Tynan Weir. There is a range of... Well, the range has kind of five standard levels plus a launch edition. Okay. As is the way these days, everybody has to do a launch edition. It's a way of just making loads of the same spec so that you can build up a stock of them and, and then make that premium. But the range consists of Vizier, which is sort of peasant spec, Ascenta, Inconnecta, Tecna, and Tecna Plus, which is a, a, a which just, I don't know, it sounds like a, a series of R&B groups, doesn't it? <laughs> That's sort of an increasing plushness, really, and launch editions at the top of all of that. Prices... They range from £17,395 up to £23,895 on the road and before options. Okay. As ever these days, there's not a huge number of options because otherwise they have to do even more WLTP testing. Yeah. And by the way, those were only for the manual ones. So the one of the options available on top of that is a DCT gearbox, which actually takes the price of the DCT Premier Edition, which is the correct name for the launch edition, to £25,395. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but nobody's ever going to walk out and and just and pay £25,395 cash for a Nissan Juke. They're all going to buy them on PCP. Mm-hmm. So much so that we were given five different examples of PCPs. So do you want to pick a number from one to five, and I'll tell you what it is? Let's go with three. Uh, number three. <laughs> number three actually is a, one of the most... Oh, no, that's another four. Yeah. So number three is pretty much one of the most relevant ones out there, to be honest, uh, because it's a Tecna okay. spec. It's all the same engine. This is um, and this one's a manual one. So it's twenty two thousand four hundred ninety five pounds on the road. Nissan will give you five hundred pounds deposit contribution towards that, plus your fifteen hundred quid customer deposit, giving thirty six monthly payments of three hundred and thirty nine pounds sixty five over thirty seven months and ten thousand miles a year. So thirty thousand miles total. Okay. That's 5% API. You can possibly see if you can find better than that or lease for less. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's £340 a month. And that's towards the top end. It starts from, if you go for an Accenture, so not the absolute POV spec. So, you know, the first one, the one that comes with 17-inch alloy wheels as opposed to 16-inch steel wheels with wheel trims that is only going to be bought in small numbers by fleets. Then you're looking at under £280 a month. Okay. Same terms. That's pretty much. That's pretty much that. They can do that. That's better than the old one. They can do that because after three years, the residuals are expected to be about forty-six percent, which is pretty good. Okay. So we're told. 
Anyway, should we move on to the car itself rather than the finance deals? Yeah, tell us tell us about the exterior because I'd be interested to know what's changed and what they concentrated on or what they felt was the dukeness that they've retained. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So part of the dukeness that they wanted to retain was that it is it just looks different from everything else. Now, there was a note here in my notes that I will attempt to decode. I was I was explaining to Andrew I took many notes and then couldn't. Ah, there we go. Some of them in English. <laughs> yes, that it was to be... Uh, there's a note in here that says Fender-masculine-fender-oriented, uh, no, which I imagine is what the design manager was saying. So they wanted to make sure that that same sort of haunch that was always there at the front of the previous generation, Duke, you, none of you can see his face. It's an absolute picture. It's the only reason I bring these things up. Um, but that was one of the things. They wanted it to still to be quite masculine, uh, and they wanted it to still have those kind, that kind of feel that it was all around the wheel arches, uh, just like the original one. Because if you look at Mark 1, then there's a kind of bulge, and then there's a second bulge, and they wanted to make sure it had all of that. But on the other hand, this new Duke is no longer a global car. All right, interesting. Uh, it is Europe only. So why that's a big deal is that it's released the designers from having to have the North American bumper sticky outness regulations. <laughs> so in North America, the bumper areas have to be distinct and they have to stick out more than, I think it's something like a hundred mil. Or be, it won't be a hundred mil because it's America. It'll be three inches or something. Um, three and 14 sixteenths or something like that. Uh, inches, uh, to, you know, beyond beyond other points in the car and they had to have something like that at the front or like the back they don't have to do that which now which means that it follows the european regs which aren't as don't mean that there should be as much sticky outiness which means that it it, it looks i'm using lots of great words here but it looks less lumpy Basically, the outcome is it's smoother looking and a bit less odd while still being pretty distinct. Still having its headlamps below those, um, the kind of crocodile eyes uh, further up, but that are a bit smoother, a bit more integrated into the body. And there's just fewer sort of slashes and lumps uh, than there used to be. Yeah, the ones I've seen do seem to have more of the Nissan nose, whereas the old one didn't. Yeah, there's 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 been a bit of a move there to bring it into line with the sort of current corporate face, but not but it's not been overly imposed on it. It's mm. there, you can see that there's that, but it's not a case of look, we've designed this really funky car and then we've had to stick this other nose on it that looks like it's come from somewhere else. One of the other things that's helped with the looks is that the wheelbase is uh, now 105 middle longer than before. Uh, yes, I stood out there with a in the rain in December with a tape. No, I didn't. It's 105 mil longer, I'm told. Uh, that's pushed the wheels out into the corners, which means it doesn't have as big an overhang, certainly at the front, as it did before. And that's helped make it a bit more grown-up looking. Okay. Most of that 105 mil has gone to interior space. We'll talk about that a little bit later. People in the back will be delighted. <laughs> well, yes. 
Yes. As I say, we'll come to that shortly, Andrew. Stop preempting me. Uh, <laughs> uh, overall dimensions, uh, length is up 75 mil, width is up 29 mil, and height is up 13 mil. Despite all of that, it's 23 kilos lighter than the previous model. Okay. As ever, at this point, we talk about color tax. Uh, the only way of avoiding color tax is to choose flame red. Oh, not white. Excellent. Well done, no. Nissan. Well done, white, Nissan. White, Arctic white is £275 more. That's a waste of £275, in my opinion. There are some... Oh, well, that's not the only white you can have. Uh, there are some simple metallic greys and blues, which add £575. And then there are some premium metallics, which add some pleasant colours, uh, including quite a nice brown, to be honest. Sorry, hazelnut. Which will will cost you seven hundred and forty five pounds extra. There are also two tone metallics, where you can have a body color and then you can have the kind of roof area in either uh, silver or metallic black. And depending on whether those are based on a standard metallic or a premium metallic, they're going to cost you nine hundred and seventy five pounds or one thousand one hundred and forty five pounds. I really wouldn't bother. How much? Yeah, lots. Well, I'm, I'm not impressed with lots. the premium metallics either. <laughs> a car that size wow okay that better be some special color <laughs> naturally the colors that one would generally choose fall under premium metallics but again if you split that out you're paying that over 36 months and you might never decide to pay the bloom payment then it's not actually going to add much per month. And, of course, that's something we've got to remember with that. Uh, people are mostly, even though we wouldn't be, people are mostly looking at the monthlies these days. Yeah. And so if it adds £20 a month or something to get the colour they want, they'll they'll choose the colour they want. Mm -hmm. Do you think the design works, what they've done? I do, yeah. Yeah, I do, actually. Okay. Yeah, and there's lots of nice little touches in it as well. Um, the sort of the details are quite neat. It's just dumb stuff like the reflector lenses and all these kind of things that you wouldn't spend a lot of time poking at. We really only mooched around the ones that were on display in the technical centre. The reason being, it was an absolutely foul day, and so there wasn't much call for stopping. And well, basically, it was so dark all day long that you, it never got light enough to be able to take outdoor pictures or anything or to go, hey, why not pull up in this nice sunny lay-by and take some shots? It was more a case of, oh my goodness, look at the rain coming down again. Let's get back to the coffee. Well, we have had storms and gales for the last 30 years, so that's understandable. Well, that's it. And this was at least towards the beginning of the storms and gales that we've, we've been in, enjoying. <laughs> so much here in the UK lately. Okay, well, if the weather was so foul, you must have spent a lot of time inside the car. So, shall we move well, we to did, the interior? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably a good idea, yes. Lots of time was spent inside the car. Begin at the back, as we normally do. The boot. The boot is... It's a decent size. 244 litres. Mm -hmm. Which is... Small hatchback size. Sorry, it's quite large for a small hatchback. Mm -hmm. And that's 20% larger than it was before. Okay. So when I said the interior uh, is really benefiting from, from that extended wheelbase, this is the start of that. It's not just that the actual volume of the boot's bigger. They've made the opening 131 millimeters wider. Okay. So that's, what, 12 centimeters. Uh, so it's more practical. 12 centimeters is 13 centimeters. I'm not a complete idiot. It's also a more regular shape. 
and there's also a two position boot floor as well which is which is popular these days for all the usual reasons when it's up you get a flat through floor to the folded seats when it's down and when it's it's been been dropped down then you get maximum capacity uh, which is what everybody's looking for really curry hooks yes are you just saying that, or are you sure? <laughs> yes, I'm just saying that. I can't remember. And I, and I look. Yes, there were, because I took a picture. It's one of the very few pictures I took from the Excellent. day. thank you. Was that there was a curry hook. Thank you. It's it's just not like me to not check for curry hooks these days. My job is done now. <laughs> I actually thought it was the one with the curry mushroom, but that's another car I've driven recently. Oh, okay. Which has curry mushrooms. Yes, moving on... <laughs> Uh, rear seats definitely benefited from the stretching wheelbase 58 millimeters more knee room and according to the numbers only 11 millimeters more headroom which just doesn't feel right it felt like much more now i spent some time in the back of dukes in the past and i can tell you that i have quite i'm not particularly tall i'm what five ten ish yeah but i have wee stubby legs and a long back so sitting in the back of a previous generation Duke actually meant sitting with my head tilted to one side all the time. And in this new version, you can now actually sit in the back with your head attached. Oh, that's nice. And upright without it feeling cramped or anything. So although the number only says 11 mil, reality must be that they've changed the rake and whatever else of the seat because it is a significantly more comfortable place back there. Good. Because they, they, that, the rear passenger space was not blessed. It was, it was appalling. It was, oh, it was just bad. Yeah. All right. Previously, and there's not many cars I'll say that about. Normally, I'll say, well, once you're in, it's okay. Stuff. No. Previous generation Duke, the rear seats were just bad. It was even worse if you had the all-wheel drive CVT version of the Mark One, because that actually lifted the rear seat by a centimetre or two, <laughs> so that you really couldn't fit in the back. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's not an issue now, by the way. Whichever transmission you choose, well, they're only two-wheel drive at the minute, then um, then, then that there's no change in rear seat height. Good. Minimal tunnel and protrusion in the back, but you still wouldn't want to sit in that centre rear seat for more than a couple of miles. There's just it's really a two seater. Okay. I wouldn't even wish it on your children. I think there would be war very quickly. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. But it is that size of vehicle. It is that you know It's that size. What do you expect? Yeah. I mean, frankly, what do you expect? Yeah. Uh, you're not if you regularly carry uh five adults around, you should not be buying a BSUV. No. None of them will do it. it. It's just, it's not a slight on the Duke. It's just, it's quite a small segment. Yeah, it's yeah. it's factory, factory car. Yep. One thing the Duke has, though, is three Isofix points. Okay. As you've just told me, the middle seat's a bit grim. Go on, then. Explain this to me. <laughs> so, there's two in the rear and one on the front passenger seat. Ah, okay. Uh, so, I know that's one in the front passenger seat, but it still means that should push come to shove, you can still still carry three smallish people around. Yeah. Which I thought that was quite a good solution to, to stuff. I thought it was interesting that it was included that way. Mm. Up front, much more room than before. More car-like seating position. Good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
just in case anyone's without any, any doubt, I was I, I have driven several of the last generation, and I is a serious unfan of the previous generation. I know. <laughs> so when the ch- the chance came to Tim, Andrew, are you available to go to the launch, or, you, or, or can I, or shall I do it? Because I can do it. It was a case of no, 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 you do it, you do it. It's far closer to you. <laughs> and actually, I couldn't. Thankfully, I couldn't go. <laughs> yeah. You... <laughs> Well, I had a nice day out. No, t- t- I am talking about the old one. The new one, from what everybody oh, yeah. has said, does sound better. And that's hopefully what my questioning of you and what you're explaining to us is making clear. Yes. Well, I've also spent time in the Mark 1G. Yeah, I know. So you, you've got, you can compare. I can compare, and I do have an understanding of what they needed to improve. Dashboard. Dashboard's quite low. There's colour panels depending on the trim, uh, soft touch. They could be fabric, Alcantara, or bright orange leather. Uh, so bright orange, energy orange leather panels to brighten up the interior. There's only one. You can only get that on the Techna Plus spec. Okay. But the idea is that it softens up and it breaks up, uh, breaks up the plastic and it and makes it more distinctive and funky. And to be honest, it, it actually achieves that. We'll come back to that in a minute though. Uh, but the dashboard itself is relatively low. Panels and brightness, depending on the trim and option level. But it's a traditional layout of the middle. There's a there's a sort of eight inch tablet style screen poking up. There's a row of circular vents, and then there's all the the, the buttons for your your climate control and some of the aux stuff uh, just below it. Um, the circular vents, by the way, in the middle and at the sides, three in the middle. One at either side by the doors. Really nice action to close to open and close the veins. Uh, and I know that sounds silly, but there's a real theme of three that goes through it. So there's lots of bits where you'll see that stuff has three spokes, or there's three, or there's uh, sort of three dimples and stuff. It's it's one of the little detail things that they took from the outside to the inside. Okay. Once you notice it, you go, "Oh, that's quite clever." Uh, and that's about it. And and the dash vents are part of that. And they were just really nice little air vents, to be honest. I know this sounds such a silly thing, but no, but it's not though. It's it's not though. If you, if you're in what is considered a, you know a mainstream car, a touch like that can make a lot of difference. I I hmm. find, yeah. but particularly when you spot it, you go, oh, they've paid attention to that, and hmm. you know, not necessarily throwing tons of cash at material and finish but being clever hmm. and i appreciate someone being clever in what is a you know a car that they they want to mass produce it's a someone gives a gives us something yeah yeah a yeah. uh, quick question though um was there a volume knob at all uh there was yes did it stay vertical at all times? there was no markings in the middle of it okay. smarty pants right no uh, no these are We've got the curry hooks, and we have to have the volume control knob because oh, our, do, our do we have to have that now? Our listeners do, as I found out to my cost. Our listeners do yes. actually really appreciate that. <laughs> I, I like the fact that I was vindicated on that one. By the no, way, no, I just put you all in the corner of the lunatic fringe of the <laughs> oh, car oh, internet. Oh, we're on the lunatic fringe. <laughs> yes, I'm the anyway, one, obviously. <laughs> Between the front seats, tall center console, and leading back to an armrest cubby. The previous generation, round this of gear stick or gear selector, was kind of really curved, and it was always body colour. 
Mm. Or a contrast with body color, uh, and it was all styled, and it was styled meant to be like a motorcycle fuel tank and and all that kind of thing. That's been toned down a lot, but it's still there's still a sort of hint of that there. Okay, worth mentioning is USB ports front and rear nowadays. By the way, as well, right, which is good. Yes. So I mentioned the soft materials earlier on, and the sort of touch point areas on the dash and the door trims are all part of that. In the more basic trims, they tend to be dark fabric to match the seats. Mm-hmm. They tend to match the seats. Uh, and they'll be patterned dark fabric and, and stuff. Once you get up to Techno, you get the choice of black, pale grey, or energy orange, which also has similar highlights in the seats, which is all kind of kind of funky. It's bright. It's cool. People who were driving the cars with the energy orange said that it was a bit bright, really, but it was kind of cool. We only had sort of whole of Calcutta spec cars, and so it was sort of either Alcantara or the black leather, and really it was just kind of dark. But it was at least soft. Okay. If you went too far away from the bits that were intentionally soft, then everything became somewhat hard. But on the other hand... Normal people are not in the habit of driving around, tapping on the top of the dashboard or down somewhere around their ankles and going, oh, I don't think the, the plastics quality is that great in this. Yes, and, and remembering the price range of a B SUV segment vehicle. Exactly. What do people expect? <laughs> Something's got to give, and what they've done is they've tried to make the bits that really matter really nice. Hmm. And so they, they've tried to do what they can within the budgets that you get in a BSUV. Yeah. Uh, to do that and they've succeeded okay so after all that the biggest compliment i can give is that the day on day after the launch i was given a lift in the previous generation nismo went out hopped in and pretty much my first thought was gosh this feels small and cheap <laughs> so and at that point it was like God, they really have made a big difference, haven't they? Mm. And so, yeah, so certainly interior-wise, it is chalk and cheese. It really, really is. I, I can't stress that enough. Okay. Significant Im- improvement there. Now the owner of the the owner of said Duke is going to listen and give me grief. Well, possibly make you walk next time. <laughs> well, no. The, the well, the thing is that when it comes to actually driving, then I would I would always choose that particular Duke over one of the newer ones. And a lot of that is to do with that particular duke, rather than yes. anything, rather than any failing in the in the new one. Mm. Okay, talking of driving then, um, there is only one engine available. Everyone, a one-liter turbo petrol triple, putting out a whopping one hundred and seventeen metric horses and a hundred and eighty newton meters of torques. There's a 10-second overboost function that gives 200 newton meters of torques for short periods so that you can overtake stuff. Okay. It didn't sound particularly triple-ish, by the way, so it didn't sort of feel... It wasn't... There was nothing wrong with it, but it didn't feel as... It wasn't a, a thrappy, cheapish sounding happy triple. It was more subdued and grown up than that. It sounded more like a four-cylinder. Do you think that was a missed opportunity? No, not really. I don't think anybody who's going to uh, going to buy one's going to be that bothered. Okay. In all honesty, I, for example, when it comes to the driving section here, I haven't actually been able to find. I didn't go as far as Autocar and Watcar, to be honest, because they would have had them. But in any of the press materials, I could not find a 0 to 60 number. 
So that gives you an idea of where we're sitting. It's definitely not something that they're showing off. Okay. At no point, by the way, did it feel particularly underpowered or, or, or particularly slow. It was just fine. One thing that's worth mentioning is that no matter what, well, there's only that one engine, but there is there is a a, a drive mode switch that moves it from its sort of normal uh, to a sport mode, which sort of tightens, you know, makes the steering a bit heavier, makes the throttle response a bit sharper, uh, or eco. Uh, and eco is where it does start to feel dangerously slow <laughs> sometimes. I'm sure it's incredibly ecolo- ecological and economical, but it, it's, it's, it, it ain't rapid in eco mode. So best to avoid eco mode. Sport was, was just fine. It was good for giving that little bit of extra boost, uh, that little bit of extra sharpness for overtaking maneuvers. We were in Milton Keynes, so it was the traditional Milton Keynes driving style of up to the roundabout, slow down, round the roundabout, accelerate up to the national speed limit, break again for the next roundabout. So there was quite a lot of that going on. <laughs> Which, let's face it, is blooming hard on a one-litre triple. But you got the overboost. The overboost, and it was quite good for making sure you got past the truck or the bus or whatever else. It was a good, it was, it was fine. You could feel it. That's kind of cool. Two different gearboxes. Uh, six-speed manual is standard. A seven-speed dual clutch will add fourteen hundred pounds to the price of every trim apart from the basic one. So from center upwards, you can have that. It's worth mentioning that the routes around Milton Keynes had been chosen by the engineers who developed the car. <laughs> one of the things that's interesting about that is they didn't choose easy routes okay they really didn't it would have been very easy for them to choose only the slickest smoothest pieces of tarmac that milton Keynes has to offer us uh, and they really really didn't okay which was which was quite impressive uh one of the chaps i was speaking to over lunch was saying that he had uh that that actually a fair chunk of one of the routes was his commute home. All right. Which he likes to try and do in as many sort of pre-production cars as he can, as it's a good test. Excellent. <laughs> what's What's interesting about this, by the way, is that they were saying that this is the first Nissan developed to go around roundabouts. And we were like, what? And they said, well, the trouble is that because normally, normally that some of the key development stuff is is dictated from afar. Uh, but one of the things that Japanese engineers in particular, and this wasn't the first time I'd heard this kind of thing said to me, okay, and not just by Nissan, was that Japanese engineers are discovering they need to spend more time driving in Europe, some of them. Yeah, okay. Because the roundabout is a very European concept, and it's actually incredibly tricky to get right when it comes to tuning your car. Because if you think about what happens when you enter a roundabout, okay, you often are approaching relatively quickly, particularly Milton Keynes. You're approaching relatively quickly. You're braking quite hard, but not to a stop. You're trying not to brake all the way to a stop. And then as soon as you see that gap, you're then moving straight from the brake to the throttle to accelerate onto the roundabout. You're turning one way, so you're, you're normally in the UK, we're turning left to go onto the roundabout, and then we're going right to go round the roundabout, and then we're going, we're often lifting off, turning left again, yeah? Yep. And then nailing it 
Obviously. As we hit the next stretch of stretch of, of dual carriageway. And I'd never really thought about it before. But it's blooming tricky because not only are you doing all that, then you've got to mix in the fact you've got positive and negative cambers kicking in as you go around this roundabout. It's a real handling nightmare. And what they did was they actually went out and they scanned one of the roundabouts that they felt was particularly tricky and particularly bad cambers not far from Cranfield. Uh, and they sort of went out and they, they sort of scanned it and, and measured it all and all the road surface, you know, roughness and all that kind of stuff. And what they did was they, they have built copies, exact copies, at both the European test track and then another at the Japanese test track. So that <laughs> in Japan, there is a there is a roundabout on the test track that will forever be Milton Keynes. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was genius. But it kind of shows that they've taken this really seriously. And remember, BSUV folks. Mm-hmm. As you can imagine from the kind of thing I'm talking about, the ride handling compromise between comfort and sportiness was really good. There wasn't that much body roll. And what there was was really well contained. But it also rode well. Okay. There was one bit after somewhere, I can't remember, we'd stopped driver swap or something and I was on a stretch of road that I'd been on not that long before and I'd went over this rough patch and it was only once I was over it that I turned to, to Andy Harris, who was the poor sod who was putting up with me all day, and said, that was really good, it just went straight over it and it was rough as heck but the ride was really really good, and the thing is you're not going to really buy any of these cooking spec jukes primarily for their handling and uh, and stuff but it's it's been done really well and it was really really respectable for a bog standard car the ride and handling was really not bad at all That's good now remember hear. we were on the roads that they were testing that, that they developed it on but just some bits that i knew were really nasty in other cars handled fantastically well and, and naturally it, it suited me nicely because also, the tuning for roundabouts made the roundabouts disappear. And if cars make roundabouts disappear, I'm a happy bunny. <laughs> Gearboxes and gear shifts are a different matter. Oh. Okay. Engine, not bad. Ride handling, pretty good. Gear shifts are a bit yucky, to be honest, in either box. There wasn't so much wrong with the manual box itself, but the, the gear lever was about an inch too long. All right, and I know I sound like one of these people going, "Oh yes, well I didn't like it." There, there is the standard interior foible problem that I must complain about, and it's it's not. It was actually more than that because not only was it did it actually made it make it uncomfortable if you were being a bit lazy and resting your elbow on the center, you know, on the armrest. Ta-da! Mm. Uh, it meant that your arm was going up the way to reach the top of the gear lever. Okay, and it also made the throw of the shift particularly long. If it, if you held the gear lever halfway up, it was spot on. It was great. So the best way to get decent, to get better, you know, gear feel and stuff is to fit an after, a shorter aftermarket gear knob. That would be what I would do to one of these cars within about three days of getting it. I think. Okay. It was just it was so it was a bit uncomfortable, and then it didn't, and then I felt it. It made the gear shift not as good as the gear shift could have been given all the rest of the gear linkage Mm. at first 
I preferred the DSG on the road. Okay. It could be a little bit slow, uh, but it was fine once you were on the go. It was really moving off from junctions. It had a bit of a paddy. But it was consistent in its behavior, which meant that it didn't take that far before you could you learned to drive around it. Okay, yeah, yeah. So unlike, say, a Smart, where it was really inconsistent and rubbish, <laughs> this was at least consistent uh, when it was being rubbish. And I was fine. I was I was quite happy with it until I came to... Uh, it was a traffic-calming sort of narrowing bit in the middle of a traffic jam, and somebody flashed me through. Oh, yeah. And so I tried to put my foot down to go through it as we were at a near stop. And what it did is it just decided that it didn't want to be in any gear whatsoever. Uh, and it was just going to sit there and rev and have a complete hissy fit. And that I didn't like. No. That I actually lost a lot of confidence over the next couple of miles because of that. Because that could have been really dangerous. Yeah, yeah. That could have been really bad if I'd been partway through pulling out or something. Uh, and it had decided to do that. That That could have been bad. On the other hand, I would have saved myself £1,400 by not specking the DCT. Yes. Yeah. Have the manual, fit a small gear knob. Okay. I was really disappointed by that because I'd actually got... I decided I was quite fond and fond of the, the DCT and was probably going to end up bucking the trend there. But no, it wasn't to be. Mm-hmm. That, by the way, is my biggest criticism of the whole car. Okay. Right, so technology then? Technology is a bit that's missing. They showed some interesting, interesting numbers at the start of the day when we were getting our little uh, the first of our talks. And it said that a third of surveyed buyers were happy with the amount of tech their car offered. Okay. Two-thirds of them wanted more! Really? I think I think you could say that, bit, but pretty much any car, car owner. I was so wishing you were there. <laughs> As a result, this is the most connected juke ever! Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, in reality, as much of what you'd expect these days, really. Uh, there's CarPlay's Android Auto. There's a Nissan Connected Services monitoring app so that you can check where your car is, check it's locked, check the lights are off, windows up, nobody's pinched it, that kind of stuff. Also, it'll give you alerts for traffic and speed limits. And, all the, and, there's, all, and there's all the usual safety stuff. Lane departure warning, collision pre-assist smart braking, blah, 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 things. Okay. Just everything you'd expect from the normal safety suite these days, partly because it's going to be mandated very soon anyway, if it hasn't already been. Another couple of things that you're going to love is that, not only that, it also can integrate with Google Home via Alexa hey. as well, so that you can you can actually, you know... Google Home via Alexa. Is that right, or is that wrong? Have I got them mixed up? That's is Google Amazon Home and or Alexa? Is one Amazon? I thought Amazon's so. You Alexa. see, I don't... You, this sounds terrible. I don't use any of this stuff. No, and you're wise not to. So no, it's Alexa for the voice controls, but it will also integrate with Google Home. My apologies. I had a moment of panic. So you can make it, you know, go home. He's about to explode, everyone. Uh, so yes, so you can, you know, tell it to prepare the house as you approach and these kind of things. Or, you know, yeah, whatever. Uh, all those services either free or have a one-time fee for three years at the time. They couldn't quite explain which ones were which. I didn't really know the prices weren't set. 
as of about the middle of this year, there will be possible to subscribe to a built-in Wi-Fi hotspot, which is pay-per-use as well, that is built into the car. So just in case your phones or, or tablets and stuff can then can then use your, your car data, your car as a modem to connect to the outside world. I'm going to be honest, I don't understand why I would want or need those things. And I'm Mr. Loves an Electronic Toy and will normally defend these things from Andrew's onslaught but I mean it's it's cool and everything and I'm sure some people will use them but I, I don't really get it no. I don't see I don't feel the need okay then verdict <laughs> as as a person who is able to compare between the last generation that went on for eons and the new one <laughs> let us hear what you think this is way better looking more comfortable than anything than than before it is a pretty handsome vehicle, uh, which was, and of course, looks are one of the main things that turned people either off or on when it came to the previous Duke. I think it has, a, I think they've managed to do the keep it a Duke whilst widening its appeal at the same time. Okay. It drives well, it's adequately nippy. Uh, other than that, DCT uh, having a complete meltdown, I. Find very little wrong. Find very little wrong with the driving uh, and the way it, it goes. Uh, it's pretty economical too. I'm sorry, I, I forgot to copy over the the figures. I think the combined uh, was thirty six or something. Okay, it was about there. It really wasn't bad. But overall, though, if you liked the Duke before, you'll like this lot. If you didn't like the Duke previously, this one may well win you around because it is, as I say, better in, in pretty much every single way. Okay. It's sure. pretty cool. Thanks, obviously, to Andy Harris of the Yorkshire Times for suffering me all day. <laughs> uh, and, of course, uh, everyone at Nissan who made the, made the day go uh, without a hitch. Also worth saying, the launch was held at the, is it the National Computer Museum? at Bletchley Park it was at the end of the day once we'd finished all the all, all, all the driving and all that stuff uh, many of us went got uh, went the tour of there it's really good if you are in the Milton Keynes area or and you have uh, and you are looking for a good day out I would happily pay to go and see it and go around the tour again Really good, really interesting. All about the Enigma machines and Colossus and decoding stuff, and all sorts of spy things, and then computers. And it's quite depressing how many of the ones and the displays I either have owned, owned, or, or definitely used uh, over the years. So, but <laughs> that's a really good day out, by the way. If you are down uh, around there, if you do do go to the um, National Museum of Computing in Bletchley Park, cool. Uh, that's it, isn't it? I think so. Well, it's good to know that they have made, uh, they have improved it. After nine years, if they've made it worse, I would have been quite surprised and disgusted. So they've set everything up for it to continue being a, a, a hit for them. I would hope so, yes. Yeah. Although it is Nissan, so they could pull just about. <laughs> no, let's not talk about the current management issues. Of anything right don't, at the minute. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to be honest, um, yes. They have guess it's it's yeah. That was coherent, wasn't it? And conclusive. Yes, they have definitely set it up for another 
to continue being a success for them. Good. Cool. Anyhow, don't forget, between now and next time, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if anybody feels that perhaps there is a a, a millimeter of the car that you have not covered well for them or in enough detail what's the best way for them to get in touch with you to ask more probing questions yes i have done a bit of an andrew describes dashboards uh, on this one i'm so sorry no you were very good you were very good <laughs> the best way is to use twitter where i'm at ajp bradley b-a-d-l-e-y uh we'll be back before very long but until then i've been alan bradley i've been andrew clues and safe motoring